Well, hey everybody, and welcome back to Practice Makes Faithful. We are super excited to have you all joining us today as we continue this series and this conversation by design. We are excited to dive into that. But first, my name is Ben, joined by here by Paul Hugerbart. Yeah, yeah, here on what for us is a Monday morning, Ben, as we normally record this on Mondays. Yes. For me, it's kind of a... A sleepy morning. I had a super, super good but busy week last week. Yeah, you're at Renew Gathering, right? Yep, the Renew Conference and Discipleship.org. And we had a meeting, several of us together, on uh, the Tuesday before. Uh, Our operations minister here at Grace Chapel, Nick, and I went together. And it was a full day of driving on Monday and a full day of driving back on Friday. So it was just kind of, you know, pedal to the floor the whole time. But, But really good stuff, really good stuff. And so... I'm kind of playing catch up on lots of communications yep. and on uh, and on sleep too. Yep, yep. So, uh, so I'll be by the time this uh, podcast drops on Wednesday, I will no longer be sleepy. That's good. So hopefully, <laughs> that's good. That's good. The non-sleepy <laughs> version of me comes across as we are recording here as well. There you so. go. <laughs> yes, and today it is we're in season three, episode seventeen. Mm-hmm. As I stand, we are going to be finishing up with this series by design. Yeah, it's been a really, uh, really good conversation. I've mm-hmm. really appreciated. This has been something we've been able to address this conversation on gender, sexuality, yes. holistically as a yeah. church family. That's right. So we've been able to go in our youth. We had this conversation on sexuality in our uh, Spring mm-hmm. XP. Some of our small groups have been following along, sent out additional resources, mm-hmm. and our Sunday morning series. It's been it's been a really good process. Yeah, yeah, it has been. I, I was uh, it was kind of comical yesterday. Had had someone come and I had made the you know kind of made a joke about how much um, I'm going to try to pack in into the one message, basically. And so hang on for the ride. I mean, here we go. We're going to, you know, uh, just keep on driving until we get to the end of this road. And um, but somebody came up to me afterwards and said, you know, it's amazing how much you all packed into a three-week series. To me, it felt like a much longer series yeah, because there was yeah. so much information and so many good thoughts in it. And, and I appreciate that. Um, yeah. You know, that... That was our intent, as you say. Use the word, use the word holistic, and mm-hmm. and I really think that was our our desire was to be holistic. And when we say holistic, I think we mean bringing both the components of grace and truth to the mm-hmm. table. Just mm-hmm. as Jesus was full of grace and truth, we wanted to be full of grace and truth yeah. in this. Yeah. As we said from the beginning in this, not to not wanting to fight the culture wars, not wanting to fight against culture, but wanting to fight for culture. And there is a fight worth having, mm-hmm. and it's the fight for people. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus came to fight for people. And so we want to be that way too, especially for people who, you know, fighting for people who are caught up in an unhealthy flow of culture who don't even realize how unhealthy the flow of culture is. And so, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, that that was our heart in this, to yeah. be yeah. holistic, wholly, fully embracing grace and truth as Jesus uh, as Jesus did as well. Well, in case anyone's missed it up to this point, you want to give us a quick recap of this series? Yeah, okay. sure. Where we went with it, a lot of information, right? So you're just going to be yeah. able to hit some highlights. But Yes, uh, yes. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, as we've gone through this series, I've tried to begin with this idea just to reestablish this premise that we as followers of Jesus are looking <coughs> first and foremost to engage from uh, the you know with a viewpoint in mind of embracing a biblical worldview. I mean, we want to embrace a biblical worldview, meaning that everything we say begins and ends with Scripture, and the belief that Scripture is the infallible Word of God. Therefore, it is the basis for our view of reality. I mean, it's the foundation. 
for the way in which we view reality. And there are so many other worldviews we could uh, prescribe to, certainly lots of uh, worldviews that are put forth as valid by the culture in which we live, the day and age in which we live. Um, but we as Christ followers want to be people who engage the Word of God. And as we see this message that God has left us, which is certainly not uh, you know, a sol- solely a rule book. I mean, we know that's not true, and that's not the, the picture that I want to paint, but it does give us deep and direct guidance for life. Mm-hmm. It tells us um, the story of human beings and the story of God's work in this world and God's hope and desire for human beings, His intent you know, at creation, uh, what happened at fall, at the fall, as sin came into the world and understanding that we are sinful human beings, that we are fallen creatures, broken is the way that I talked about it um, on Sunday morning. And so we get this biblical worldview only from reading Scripture. And certainly as we engage with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit confirms that and helps us learn how to live within that and navigate that understanding. But the framework or the paradigm um, through which we view reality is the words of God, the, the words that God has left us. And so that was where we started and to say, okay, if that is what we believe, then that means that even as it relates to sex, sexuality, and gender, and all the messages that we hear right now in culture in the world, and all the things that we're being told, this is what love looks like, and if you want to be a loving person, this is the kind of response you have to have. Um, and these are the kind of thoughts you should have about sex, sexuality, and gender. If we want to be people who embrace a biblical worldview, then we have got to go, we have got to, go to the pages of Scripture, the Word of God, uh, to try to understand what God has to say about sex, sexuality, and gender. And so mm-hmm. that's what we've been, we've been trying to do this month is to say, if we were to look only at the words of Scripture, what would we conclude is God's design, His, His purpose, His intent, for sex, sexuality, and gender. And then, of course, we'll get into this more about where we went yesterday. So we, we have begun by acknowledging the intent and the ideal. And then we moved into, and we'll get more into this, um, kind of the acknowledgement of the brokenness that has torn apart the foundation for that ideal in many places in this world. And sometimes eroded the foundation for that, that intent and ideal within our own lives as well. Yeah, and so yeah. that's, that's where we've been to this point. That's a good. That's a good foundation for it. So, you want to give us a give us a little bit of a recap of where did you go yesterday? Yeah. Or so in Sunday's message from whenever yes. y'all listen to it. Yeah. So again, um, beginning with God's intent, then asking the question. Okay. So if this was God's intent, and this, you know, we really find God's intent in two chapters in Scripture, and then the rest of the Bible is detailing what has happened since the time of the fall. So Genesis 1 and 2, we see God's design, God's intent, Mm -hmm. what He means, what He wanted. Um, And then we see from 3 on what happened since since we have walked away from God's intent and God's purpose. And so we looked at Romans 1, 21 through 32 as part of the message on Sunday. Um, And out of that, just learning a few quick things. And I'll just recap some of those highlights without reading that text. Anybody can go and if you want to go and read that text, Romans uh, Romans 1, 21 through 32. But just a few quick high points that we can conclude out of that text. First, humanity has always been quick to ignore and forget about God. Mm. I mean, human beings, that's been kind of this tendency. We ignore and we forget about God. Um, you know, that, that even though God is plain and evident, as the Apostle Paul would say, what has been known about God can, you know, has been made known to them, or what can be seen about God has been known to them, you know, so that we're without excuse. However, we keep walking away from the goodness of God and going to the things that we think would be good instead. And so, 
you know, um, you know, the second thing that we can conclude out of this, this section of text is that as we forget about God, we move away from real wisdom and call what is foolish wise instead. And it's amazing. I mean, you can see examples of this all over the place. That we're looking around at things that are foolish, that are not of God, that are, again, and I don't mean foolish um, just to really deride anybody or in a deeply pejorative sense. I mean the opposite of wisdom. And I mean that anything that is not of God is the opposite of wisdom. So real wisdom is only in God. We could say we walk away from God's wisdom to our wisdom instead. Um, but to be more honest in that, we walk away from God's wisdom to what is then foolishness instead because our wisdom in comparison to God's is absolute foolishness. It just is. I mean, that's the way it is. And so we see this movement then that takes us to this place where the Apostle Paul says the result of all of that is that we exchange the truth for lies. So God gave us the truth. God gave us his intent, his purpose, his meaning, his design for us. And we decided to take that and redefine it, repurpose it, and come up with, as Paul even says later, we've invented all sorts of new ways even of doing evil. It's very interesting in this, however, that as the Apostle Paul starts to say, look, here are the things we exchange, the truth of God ultimately for uh, a lie. As we exchange the truth of God for a lie, one of the first places we were deeply attacked was at the place of one of our own desires or you know, this deep struggle that we as human beings have. And I think this is true for both men and women. Maybe, you know, maybe generally men struggle with this more than women do, but I think it's true for both men and women that one of the first places we were attacked is at our sexuality. Hmm. I mean, which is really wild to think about. Yeah. That's one of the first places that Satan was able to attack us, was at this question of, of sexuality. And so Paul says lots of crazy things happen. I mean, we went into this place where, you know, we embraced shameful lusts. We went to this place where we embraced sexual immorality and sexual impurity. Uh, we went in this place where we, to this place where we exchanged natural relations for unnatural relations. And Paul says that's true about men. It was true about women. And then he says all these other things, too, came about. I mean, there was... Envy came about out of that. Murder, strife, deceit, malice, people being gossips and slanderers, God-haters. Um, in the next series, we're going to talk about some of that as well. Uh, so just a quick kind of plug for, for this series that will be upcoming. We can talk about that at the end of the podcast too. Um, but, but we can see all these things that have happened because of the fact that we exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And yep. that's, that's basically what yep. Paul concludes is we exchanged this truth of God for a lie. And so, man, that's the thing that we have to wrestle with is that, you know, in that, it's very plain that, that we're, we're broken. I mean, we're broken people. And I, I think, you know, we can talk about that in a lot of different ways, but, but, but human beings are broken. Okay, so, so God gave us this ideal, but what has happened since the fall? Well, we have not embraced God's intent and ideal whatsoever. And we've kind of done our own thing instead, you know. Would you really flesh out that statement, we exchanged the truth of God for a lie? Just a bit more. Yeah. Okay, so again, um, I, think, I think at a very basic level, um, God gave Adam and Eve in the garden the things that were good. He said, this is what I want you to make your life about. I mean, Adam, tend the garden Make sure that you cultivate this place and then cultivate this relationship with each other as well so that you become fruitful and multiply. And so we can even see implications about their sex and sexuality 
gender in those yeah. ideas. You know, Adam and Eve, you come together, you be fruitful and multiply, just like everything else mm -hmm. needs to be fruitful and multiply, and that there was a wonder and wonderfulness about all of that. Mm -hmm. We see then in Genesis 3, as things come in, you know, Adam's, um, Adam is still going to work and he's still going to tend, but now there's going to be difficulty to all his working and tending. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, 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 an, and an evil difficulty. I mean, thorns and thistles and briars and weeds coming into what was all good. And certainly that's, I think, speaking to a very uh, literal reality that that's what, that was what was going to happen. You know, I mean, it's, it's amazing, you know, as I, you know, so many of us spend so much time trying to keep weeds out of our grass and our lawns, right? I mean, it is a fight. You don't have to, you don't have to tend the weeds. The yeah. weeds spring up on their own. You've got to work to keep the grass, you know, pure in that sense. Um, you know, the same then true for Eve. I mean, there's going to be struggles for her. And even as it relates to fruitfulness, she's now going to experience struggles and pain and childbearing, right? And then they're going to have this enmity and strife between them to some degree. So all these things that were good are now going to become not so good. And, and so... The question is going to be, are we going to be working to get back to the ideal and intent of God? Yeah. Or are gotcha. we going to find other ways to deal with the struggle that we now face because of our brokenness? And so anytime we walk away from the goodness of God and we try to come up with another solution to our problems or say, no, there's another path to wholeness, um, we're embracing a lie. And that's over and over and over again what we as human beings have done we have believed that what God wants for us is not actually good. We believed that, as Jesus would say, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We would look at his yoke and we would say, that's not easy and that's not light. We would look at it and say, that's heavy and it's burdensome and it's, I don't want to do this. Those are rules and laws that I just don't want to follow. You're taking the fun out of life. That's all you want to do. I know better. Right, so anytime we believe we know better than God, we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. It's a, it's a fair, like, I mean, in the Genesis 3 story, mm -hmm. we are, Adam and Eve, they're doing this as they're taking from the tree of knowledge mm -hmm. of good and evil, mm -hmm. right? This is their way mm -hmm. of exchanging. God is the one who, is, right. God's already told them what's good and evil. Yes. And now they're going to this tree which is now saying, no, we're, we're going to define what's good and evil in our own eyes. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and even, even that, you know, the serpent's deception of them mm. was yeah, that, yeah. in a sense, that God is holding out on mm. you. Mm -hmm. And so there is more out there, and there's better out yeah. there than what yeah. God is actually giving you right here. Yeah. In this place of perfection, so oh, there's actually his something lies on That's right. Yep. Yeah, so, gotcha. so that's again, helpful. we could say, again, God, you know, the, Exchanging the truth about God for a lie that comes straight from the pit of hell, in yeah. a sense, you yeah. know. And so, so yeah. I mean, we can put labels and locations and even attach personalities to that. Truth comes from God. You know, these lies come from the pit of hell and come from you know from the Satan that is that is there, our adversary that is there yeah. contending against us. Yeah. yeah, for certain, for certain. Mm, that's good. All right. So in the message, you said that. <coughs> Um, in the message, you said that human beings are broken and flawed creatures who, without God, cannot determine what is right mm. on their own. Can you kind of help us flesh out this statement a little bit? Because, I mean, I, I can imagine someone might push back against that and say, oh, yes. man, why, why can't we figure out what's right on our own? Like, yeah. we're, yeah. So, 
work that out a bit yeah, more for us. So, so let's let's begin again. You know, as we've tried to throughout this series, let's let's really let's be people of Scripture, people embracing a biblical worldview. Um, yeah, I just want to start with this question: What would a world with God, without God, look like? I mean, in fact, that's that's what many of us imagine that hell is going to look like: mm-hmm. is a world without yeah. God. Yeah. Right, so what would a world look like without the influence of God? And certainly brokenness is, has entered into this world, yes. And so human beings are broken and flawed creatures. Um, but there is also goodness in the world still. But what I want to say is this. I mean, James makes it very clear that every, very clear that every good and perfect gift comes from God. Yeah. And so yeah. all good things still come from Him. Any good thing that exists in our current experience comes from God, and that's often described as this idea of common grace. So, yeah, is it possible for people to find some good? Yes, but even that is because of God. Yeah, that's good. Right? So, yeah, I'd say that's the first thing that I would say about that is that okay. so even, even any, any good that we might discover is from God because God still allows good to be in this world, even though there is so much evil, um, for sure. So we call that again common grace. But I'd say... Even with the idea of common grace in mind, human beings still, you know, still tend to pursue uh, their own ends. Okay, so so let me give you an example about this. I actually was listening listening to a podcast a while back and heard a philosopher philosopher say that there's no such thing as a truly altruistic act. Think about altruism. Altruism is benevolence. It's doing good for the sake of others. That's the idea behind altruism. Uh, but this philosopher was making the case that there is no such thing as a truly altruistic altruistic act, and here's the reason why. He was saying that even the act of giving, even in the act of giving to others, our motivations tend to center on what our altruism says about the kind of person we are, instead of being solely motivated by love and care for another. So even when we do something good for another, it's because we want to be seen as good. Yeah. Right? So if I don't do this good thing, what does this actually say about me? If I do this good thing, what does it say about me? Not, if I do this good thing, how am I meeting, truly meeting this need of this person? And again, not to be too cynical in that, because I'm certain that there, is, there are some uh, motives of altruism really, truly connected with altruistic acts. But there are also, uh, there are also some motivations really tied to self, yeah. perception yeah. of self, and hopefully the perception that then others have of us because... Of the fact that we're seen as a good, giving, loving person, as opposed to we just did it because. You know, think about how often people will do something good for somebody and then be frustrated and express that frustration in the fact that they receive no thanks or no recognition, whatever, yes. for doing that yeah. good thing. Yeah. Right? We, we have a hard time doing good for another and not wanting to receive recognition. So, it's funny, as you, as you say, that actually reminds mm-hmm. me of a pop culture example of this. Yeah. And uh, in the Taylor Swift song, Antihero, which is all about You're going to have to tell her, me about this because I don't know anything That's, that's about fine. It that's fine. It's, it's about a lot of her uh, self-defeating tendencies. And mm. she has this line in it where it says, did you see my covert narcissism disguised mm. as altruism? Um, and mm. it's that, it, it's this idea exactly mm. of this idea that uh, sometimes these, this altruism that we might show put out there, it's actually mm-hmm. narcissism, right? We're actually trying to gain attention for ourselves. Like, I think you see that kind of thing mm-hmm. on social media quite oh, yeah. often where yes. someone's kind of posting, bragging about, hey, here's this really good thing yes. I did. And is it really altruism or is it just Look at these pictures of me serving at the homeless shelter yeah. or yes. Yeah. yeah and, and 
And sometimes the, you know, uh, the idea of letting our, our light shine before others, you know, letting people see our good deeds in a sense. I, I don't think Jesus had in mind, however, with that, that we tag all of our good deeds on, on Instagram or yeah. <laughs> uh, Facebook or whatever that happens to be. Yeah. I, I don't think that's probably what Jesus had in mind, although certainly... Our good deeds, we hope that they would be an example for others, but it's often we just, you know, I think he means we selflessly go do those good deeds yeah. and, and, and people will see them. So let that be kind of the natural outflow of your life as opposed to feeling like you have to stand on the stage and call out those good deeds or post them on Instagram and Facebook or whatever else your platform mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, there's, there's some truth in that. And so, again, just to point out, the, the brokenness in humanity, even when we do good things, yeah, it's often good. not for necessarily all the good reasons or all the right reasons. Um, I'd go on to say this, you know, there's this biblical perspective that we've discussed before. And I, and I want to say, as I'm saying this, that I, I don't really buy into this idea of original sin or certainly not fully buy into the idea of original sin. But but as we've discussed before, I, I'm willing to go along with something that I would call more along the lines of like original brokenness because of the sin of Adam and Eve. I mean, this idea that we're all born with a sin nature or this somewhat magnetic draw from day one, from the moment we come from the womb. You know, we have this, um, this draw, even though I would say babies are sinless, you know. So that's where I depart with classical original sin. Yeah, so so maybe to help with that with that distinction for some who don't know what that means, original yeah. sin, that would essentially maybe the, is the difference here. Original sin would essentially say we're guilty of from Adam's on. sin from the yes. beginning. So that baby who's born, they're guilty of that sin. Yes. Versus what you're saying, original brokenness. Yes. That baby is not guilty of Adam's sin, but that baby does have the same yes. broken tendencies that he is inevitably going I, to. I think that's a very fair way of describing that. And I think, you know, when some people say original sin, they don't always mean what is the more Catholic version or Orthodox version of original sin. That is, um, Adam's sin becomes our sin inherently, mm-hmm. right? Okay. So we're all born guilty. Um, there are people who would prescribe to the doctrine of original sin, which would be a different type of doctrine of original sin that would say we're all born with Adam's sin nature. Okay. And I, I gotcha. could buy that, that version of it, you mm-hmm. know, that, that we are originally broken that sin nature is part of the human experience now from birth on, even though that child that is born is sinless in this moment, that child will be by nature sinful, will become sinful. Um, You know, there's just no avoiding that. The only one who did avoid that was Jesus, which is why he can be that sacrifice Mm -hmm. for us, a full example for us, why he was able to win the victory over sin and death only because of who he was in the life he lived. The rest of us, not so much, right? So again, we're, we're somewhat magnetically drawn to these things that are not of God. You know, as James says, like we've got these, these desires, these evil desires with inside of us. You know, when those desires are fully conceived, they give birth to death. And so there are desires within us. And there's then oppression and attack from without us, from the evil one. Um, you know, but the truth about human beings, again, is if you look at us, I mean, we tend to be selfish or self-focused, self-affirming creatures. And we've got the ability to justify all different kinds of evil. You know, I mean, I can think about, yeah. I can think about ways I've done that in my own life. Here's the reason why this behavior in this moment was okay, even though that behavior really should never be okay. I decided it was okay because of X, Y, and Z that I put together and therefore that makes this okay. I was able mm-hmm. to justify this. And 
human beings are able to do this at all sorts of different levels. I mean, you think about amazing evils that have come about, even down to some horrible, horrible things like the Holocaust, which Hitler thought he was justified in. You know, mm -hmm. he fully believed that what he was doing was actually a good thing. Yep. That just, yep. that, that's an extreme, extreme case. Um, but it points out our deep struggle, you know, that, that we are broken people. Again, without God, we, we don't have the ability to really determine what is right. And we only can determine what is right, even at a common grace level, because of that common grace that exists. And I'd, so one more thing I'd say about that, uh, to try to answer that question, um, or, or one more point that I do want to make. I, I do believe that with God, um, we, we are capable and called to more and better, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we absolutely are. I mean, think, think just about some of the words of Scripture, uh, the words of Scripture about those who have given their lives over to Jesus, right? So Scripture talks uh, often about being pulled or transformed from life to death or transformed, transferred from darkness to light. Um, talks about the fact that the desires of the flesh have been replaced by the desires of the Spirit. I mean, instead of all these desires of the flesh, we've been given the ability to lean into the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, we can be people of joy and peace and love and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All these things we can be people of where before we were people of rage and malice and bitterness mm -hmm. and gossips and you know people who uh, leaned into sexual immorality and, and thought that that's where we were going to find fun and drunkards and swindlers and all these things that are in the lists about the, the things that the sin nature is like, we have been transferred from darkness to light, from death to life. We've been given where flesh was what reigned before, a spirit that now can reign inside of us. And so, yeah, that comes from God. That doesn't come from us. So whether it be common grace where we just start to maybe have this inkling of, yes, I understand some good and some not good. If there was no God, we wouldn't have that. Or if God withdrew himself, we wouldn't even have that ability. As we now have the full measure of God, I mean, think about, uh, I think as Paul says, and I'd have to look where this is, I've, I've forgotten now, but I think it was Paul that says that we have the minds of Christ, that we have the mind of Christ, yeah. that we can have the mind of Christ. I mean, that's an incredible idea that the mind of Christ can, can replace, supplant our mind. Or what Paul says in Romans you know, uh, 12, 1 and 2, this idea that we shouldn't conform to the patterns of this mm -hmm. world any longer, but be transformed by the renewing, the metamorphosis of our mind. And in that moment, we can know what the will of God is. I mean, that's an incredible promise. Yeah. These yeah. things that can come yeah. when God comes and, and we give him again um, a dwelling place inside of us, when we start to align our will with his, I mean, all of that, uh, all of that can happen. That's good. All right, so we acknowledge that human beings are broken and flawed. Yeah. Uh, and on Sunday, you shared a couple ways that we might deal with that brokenness. First was the way of the world around us, and second was the way of Jesus. Could yeah. you kind of tell us what those are and compare and contrast those a bit? Yes. Um, yeah, so again, if we're willing to acknowledge that all human beings are broken and flawed, at least we see that from our Christian perspective very clearly, um, what we can start to see as we observe the world around us and as we read Scripture, that I'd say just in very broad categories, there could be two different ways that we might try to deal with that brokenness, um, or at least if we're looking at the Western world. We can say there are two different ways of dealing with that brokenness. And the first 
um, if we look at kind of the way of the world, uh, to, to illustrate this on Sunday morning, um, I read a chunk of a song written by Lady Gaga called Born This Way, which I just kind of titled the postmodern anthem of self-affirmation and self-validation, mm-hmm. where basically this is who I am, this is great, this is wonderful, no matter what I look like, it's fantastic. Um, and, and again, some of the things that she talks about, there, there are some immutable characteristics um, that she brings out in the lyrics of this song. You know, she talks about you know racial distinctions. Um, race is an immutable characteristic in a sense that has no, um, you know, we, we can't assign goodness or badness to race. <clears throat> People have done that before, and that's way off, right? Yeah. So we acknowledge that. Same thing with disabilities. We're not going to say somebody, because of a disability, is obviously sinful or drawn to sin or moving towards sin. But then she tries to put some things, some other things on par with race or being born with a disability. Um, and we'll, you'll see that as maybe I, just, I read through some of these lyrics real quick, just kind of as a quick rehash. But some of the things that she says in here are really just very interesting. You know, so she starts with these words, my mama told me when I was young, we are all born superstars. Okay, besides the fact that that's feel-good nonsense. You know, we're not all born superstars. That's just absolutely abject nonsense. Um, we're not born superstars, and that's actually completely okay. I and mean, maybe she means something different by superstars, but I don't know what she means by superstars. But whatever it is, we're clearly not all born superstars, right? So then she says, what, what my mama did was roll my hair and put lipstick on in the glass of her boudoir. There's nothing wrong with loving who you are, she said, because God made, because he made you, he, capital H, which is in reference to God, he made you perfect, babe. So hold your head up, girl, and you'll go far. Listen to me when I say, okay. You know, I've got a little tension around the phrase, there's nothing wrong with loving who you are, just because I know where she's going with this. But, but at surface, at just kind of face value, I, I, don't, have an, I don't have a problem with the idea that, that we should love ourselves in a sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus talks about loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. That's a reflection of the fact that we love ourselves and should love ourselves, care for ourselves, mm-hmm. love in action ourselves. We're not talking about loving as we adore ourselves and worship ourselves. I mean, you know, so I, again, I'm not sure exactly what she means by loving who you are, but yeah. but at face value, I could say, yeah, we, we love ourselves. We love ourselves and then love our neighbor as ourselves. We, you know, so caring for yourself, taking care of yourself. I mean, these are not bad things at face value. What she goes on next to say, however, is where the problem really starts to emerge in the first verse of this song. She says, because he made you perfect, babe. Mm-hmm. Um, there are only two people that, that ever replied to, truly. It was Adam and Eve. Well, I mean, I guess, you know, Jesus, you know. I, Again, there's, there's, there's still real theological debates we could get into in all of this, but um, again, my assertion that since the time of the fall, you and I and everyone else has been born broken with a sin nature inherent to our being from that time on. Again, we're not born sinful, but we're born with a sin, sin nature, a sinful mm-hmm. nature. We're going to sin, and so... Um, we're born with lots of different brokennesses, which are very evident in this life. You know, I've talked before about my, my very mentally handicapped sister. Um, in that, I see the evidence of brokenness. It's also what gives me hope for a time when things will not be broken. And I hope one day yeah. 
yeah. in eternity to be able to hold conversations with my sister that I was never able to hold this side of eternity. Yeah. You know, because things won't be broken anymore. And so that will be the time when God restores all things to just as they ought to be. When our, when our mortal bodies that are prone to decay and all sorts of brokenness is sometimes even genetic and others, um, some things that come in through biological influence, other things that will come in down the road through kind of environmental influence, all these things, when all those things are, are immortal or are mortal will be clothed in immortality, right? I mean, that's, that's what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. I mean, we're waiting for that time when, when sin and death are banished once and for all, but that is not the reality that we live in right now. And so therefore, no one of us is perfect. And to make that claim is actually, it's, it's a biblical heresy. And so that I actually have a, where I really get sideways with these lyrics is that she is referencing God because he, capital H, capital mm -hmm. he, mm -hmm. made you perfect, babe. So the way you are is just the way you're supposed to be. Don't, don't yeah. ever try to change. Yeah. Which all through the Gospels, we see what Jesus is trying to do is call people to change. Mm-hmm. Call people to be different. Call people to be conformed to his image and his likeness. Yeah. You know, the Apostle Paul says, you know, yeah. 1 Corinthians 11, 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Romans 8, 28, the working for the good that we all look to in there and say, yeah, God is working for the good of those who, loves, who, who love him, who are called according to his purposes. Very next verse is about being conformed to the image and likeness of mm -hmm. God's son mm -hmm. to Jesus. And so, no, we're not perfect. Not perfect at all. And so she goes on to say this. She says, I'm beautiful in my way because God makes no mistakes. Again, that's just super shallow theology. It's really bad theology. It's shallow theology. Um, God makes no mistakes, but we live in a corrupted world. Okay, mm -hmm. so it's just, it's just a missing of the truth of the world that we live in. She goes on to say, I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. Don't hide yourself in regret. Just love yourself and you're set. Man, uh, again, self-affirming and self-validation mm -hmm. theology. It is a postmodern anthem of self-affirmation, self-validation. I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. So in other words, I was born this way. I'm fine. One of the lyrics she says is, Subway kid, rejoice your truth. In the religion of the insecure, I must be myself. So what is the religion of the insecure? I think she's talking about people who humbly recognize that they're broken and that they're not okay the way they are. So she's saying, but not me, I'm going to be myself. Respect my youth. Again, a lot in there that I'm not yeah. really sure what she's going yeah. for, but yeah. then this statement, a different lover is not a sin. Now we start to see a little bit the way that she's kind of slanting or moving things, as she says in this lyric, and you can find all these lyrics online, but so I'm pulling some out just because, you know, for the sake of time. But at one point in time, she says, no matter gay, straight, or bi, lesbian, transgender life, I'm on the right track, baby. I was born to survive. And so, you know, really basically saying whatever it is, however you were born, that's great. It's fantastic. And what I want to acknowledge in this worldview that she's putting forth is that there is this striving for wholeness. I mean, we've been talking about holistic view and our want our desire to be whole or wholeness, the idea of wholeness. There is a striving for wholeness. It's just not at all in line with the biblical way and path to wholeness. And so here's just a real quick way of summarizing the response of culture around us. First, or the response of culture around us to brokenness. Okay, so first it's to say, what brokenness? There's no brokenness here. 
This yeah. is fantastic. I'm perfect. I'm just right. Just how I should be. I'm perfect. No mistake here. Nothing like that going on. Um, nothing that needs to improve. Nothing that needs to get better. Um, nothing to atone for. Nothing to ask for forgiveness for. What you are is great. It's perfect, right? So what brokenness? Uh, and that comes from the belief that I was born this way. And so because I was born this way, and again, I, I don't want to deny that people are born with the propensity Again, people are born, I believe, broken. Um, we're born into a broken world. People are born with the propensity uh, for, for all types of things that are not of God. All types of things. Mm-hmm. You know, all those things that we read in the list from Romans 1 and in other places too, 1 Corinthians 6. We're born with maybe a leaning toward those things. But the question is, does that leaning toward those things give us the right to just go do those things? I was born like this, so now I can. You know, that is certainly what she would conclude as she basically is saying, embrace yourself. Right? Mm -hmm. So that is the conclusion, I think, in my mind of the postmodern anthem of self-affirmation and self-validation. Embrace yourself. Don't let anybody tell you different. Embrace yourself. And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're living outside of that sense, right? worldview, yeah, it does. That's right. Yeah, you, I mean, that is, that is what you would think. That's what you conclude. And you can see why someone would get yes. to that place. Right. But we are yep. saying that as followers of Jesus, There's that is not the way. way we should be living. Yeah. Yes, there's a different way. So again, so yes, what is that way? fully embrace yourself makes sense because, again, there's a striving for wholeness. So how do I feel good about myself? Deny that there's any sort of problem or issue or anything like that whatsoever. Deny brokenness and embrace myself. So yeah, the way of Jesus is, is not, not surprisingly, stands in very stark contrast yeah. to the way of Lady Gaga, right? Um, you know, the way of Jesus, and I read on Sunday morning, Luke 9, 23 through 24, where Jesus says, then he said to them, whoever must be my disciple must not embrace themselves, Jesus says, but deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And what I want to make plain about this is that Jesus said to them all, I don't know what all these folks that Jesus was talking to were struggling with, what all these folks were struggling with. I can guarantee you they were probably struggling with a number of different things, any number of different things. But he said to them all, Jesus didn't look at a few people in the crowd and said, hey, you guys, especially over there, you're really going to have to work on denying yourselves if you want to follow me. No, Jesus said to everyone in that crowd, every one of them, all of them, if you, whoever, whoever, any of you that want to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily. This is a daily thing. It doesn't just happen once. We don't take up our cross once and say, okay, well, I took up my cross and I did it. This is a daily thing that we do. And then Jesus says, I want you to know plainly, here's what's at stake in, in the prescription I'm putting before you. Here's what's at stake. You could go with embrace yourself, but if you go with embrace yourself, something's going to happen. Mm-hmm. If you go with deny yourself, something else will happen. Jesus says, for whoever wants to save their life, that to me sounds like a way of saying whoever wants to embrace themselves, right? Yeah. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. I think what Jesus is doing in that passage is he is acknowledging in our life this reality of of our brokenness and our propensity toward these desires that will take us away from him. And Jesus is saying you need to deny yourself in that. So basically acknowledge your brokenness and whatever the reason is for your brokenness, born this way, environmental influence, whatever it might happen to be. Okay, Again, whatever that could be, Mm -hmm. deny yourself so you can follow him. 
I mean, that is what yeah. Jesus is saying plainly. You know, reading uh, in, in the message as well from 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, um, the Apostle Paul talks to the fact that a lot of Christians in the church in Corinth were once a certain way, but because of God are no longer there, that way. And one of the things that he puts in there, he says sexually, sexual immorality, where he says people who worship idols, or people who are adulterers, or men who have sex with men. So he puts you know, homosexuality in there. Mm -hmm. He says, nor thieves, but, but listen to the other things that are in there, right? So it's not just like, well, Jesus is only picking on, on people who are embracing uh, an LGBTQ lifestyle. He's talking about people who are sexually immoral, promiscuity, people yeah. who worship idols, yeah. people who uh, are married and are breaking those marriage vows and having sex with someone else that yeah. they're not supposed to. And so Jesus is drawing a serious boundary mm -hmm. uh, around the, the things that, of sexual nature that honor him and saying everything else exists outside this box. But then he says, I'm not just, you know, Paul says, I'm not just talking about sexual things, although those are really big because according to Paul in Romans 1, that's kind of the first place we get attacked often. But he goes on to say that thievery or greed or being drunk, or being a slanderer, or a swindler, or all these things. These are not, these kind of lifestyles, people who live these kind of lifestyles won't inherit the kingdom of God, Paul says. And here's the beauty of what he says in that moment. He says, and that is what some of you were. So there's this, I was once this way testimony that a lot of these people had. I was once this way, but God has delivered me into mm -hmm. something else through the washing of the blood of Jesus, being sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says, by the Spirit of our God. And so I think that the choice is really, really, really plain in all of this. It comes down to this, um, and, and it's a very, uh, well, it's like a somewhat binary choice. And I know that in our current culture, we're, we're uncomfortable with binary choices, but Jesus and Paul both make it a very binary choice to either embrace self or deny self. That's it. You know, we can accept Jesus' choice to deny ourselves, believing that this is the only way we can find true life, or we can believe the message of the world around us that if we embrace ourselves, that's how we'll find true life. I mean, that's the contrast in this, and it's that evident and that stark. And I think, again, the messages are because they're both... In both approaches, there's a striving for wholeness. There is. Jesus is saying, this is how you become whole again. And the culture around us is saying, this is how you become whole again. Or we can replace that with Jesus' words. This is how you save your life or find true life. Yeah. Jesus is saying, it's only found in self-denial. And the culture in the world is saying, finding life, saving life, mm -hmm. is only found in embracing self. That's good. All right, Paul. So with... All that in mind, what do we? What would you say? How do we practice what we've learned to be faithful to Jesus? Mm. Yeah, well, since this message was really, again, we're, we're speaking to Christ followers. I want to give Christ followers one thing to take away, and there's a big challenge in this. Um, started by saying we don't want to fight against culture, but we 100 percent, 100 percent want to fight for people who are caught up in the unhealthy flow of culture, or we want to be people who embrace grace and truth like Jesus. Okay, I think I, think I would say, one thing I could say this, I would say 
the vast majority of people who embrace an Orthodox Christian faith, and by that I mean a biblical faith with a biblical worldview, biblically rooted, believing that the Word of God or that the Bible is the infallible Word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit Himself. I'd say the majority of people who I'd identify that way um, probably wouldn't have an issue with much of anything we've said today. Although I would say there are some that are struggling with it, mm -hmm. right? Um, but there are other people who call themselves Christians who would not maybe ascribe to an Orthodox Christian faith. Um, so I want to acknowledge that. Whatever the case is, for people who call themselves Christians, especially those who would embrace uh, a traditional viewpoint concerning Scripture, again, the infallibility of Scripture, the inspired nature of Scripture, um, can we be honest with ourselves for just a moment and acknowledge that we have not always taken uh, we have not always taken the way of Jesus uh, another way that we reflect faithfulness to the way of Jesus to heart um, we've often allowed our sometimes repulsion toward people who are part of the LGBTQ community which um, Man, it just seems that over and over Jesus wasn't repulsed by people who were caught up in sin. He yeah. was drawn to them. Yeah, 100%. Um, so can we acknowledge that maybe another way that we reflect our brokenness is being repulsed by the people that God loves, mm. right? Um, I think there's something big in that. There's a real challenge in that. If we want to, as Christ followers, be faithful to Jesus in spite of our own brokenness, that we absolutely have to embrace the posture of Jesus toward sinners. In fact, Jesus was in Luke chapter 7. He spent so much time with people who others around considered sinners, who the religious crowd considered sinners, that he was referred to as a friend of sinners. That's, man, if there is a phrase that I would like to be true of me, it is that I would be a friend of sinners yeah. for the sake of loving those folks well, mm -hmm. right? For the sake of showing them they're cared about, for the sake of acknowledging that, that people who are lost without God deeply need God and may only find Him through a relationship with me, yeah. right? And we want to be careful not to be unequally yoked. What, what I think Paul is talking about when he, or I'm sorry, uh, yeah, Paul is talking about when he says not, not to be unequally yoked is this idea that we want to make sure that we're the ones having influence as opposed to being the ones who are influenced. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so we have influence over, not influenced by, as much as possible. If we get to that place where we are, um, we are being influenced by, then we sometimes have to take a step back and say, yeah. okay, I need to check myself in this. But Jesus knew that he could have influence over only by having relationship with. Yeah. Okay, so I think that's huge to hold in our minds. Yeah, we can only good. have relationship or influence over those we have relationship with. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Okay, so I want to end with this. I was at uh, you know, Renew and Discipleship.org last week, and um, Aaron Brockett, who's the, the lead pastor at Traders Point Christian Church, who's, uh, who's a guy who's uh, he, some of his staff, and, and he has become somewhat of a friend over the last several years. Um, and he was speaking and, and said made a point that I have felt on some level for a while. You know, we often say, love the sinner, hate the sin. But something about that has felt just a little bit off to me because it's still attaching hate 
to a person to some degree because sometimes the sin is so much a part of the sinner that we have a hard yeah. time detaching yeah. um, a hate for sinner from simply the hate for sin, right? And so this is what he said. He said, we don't want to love the sinner and hate the sin. We want to love the sinner, hate our own sin, and invite others to do the same. I think that mm. is the call of Jesus. That's really good. And it's, it's like a that. very different view. Yes, I want to hate my own sin to the point that, um, that I mortify my flesh, in a sense. I'm putting to death the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit. That's a promise, a scriptural promise. By the Spirit, we can put to death the deeds of the flesh. That's the kind of person I want to be. And instead of, instead of really walking that fine line and maybe starting to hate the sinner from time to time, what I just want to do is invite others to come into this relationship where they meet Jesus and He invites them to hate their own sin. Like I've learned to hate my own sin. And I walk alongside them with that as I help them hate their own sin so that they put to death the deeds of the flesh by the power of the Spirit working in them. I, I think sometimes when we have moved into that place where we love the sinner and hate the sin, we've actually, we're actually trying to take the role of the Holy Spirit upon ourselves to become the one that convicts the world of sin and judgment. That's the Holy Spirit's job. That's not my job. Yeah. My job is to be faithful to God and faithfully represent His words. And in so doing, love the sin, love the sinner, hate my own sin, and invite them, invite others to do the same. So that would be kind of, I think, the challenge I love this that. week That's is really to good. be a friend of sinners. That's really good. Um, to love, love the people who God loves well. Um, to fully embrace as much as we can both grace and truth mm. in all we do, especially as it relates to engaging with the LGBTQ community. I love that. Thank you, Paul. This is really good. A great spot to land this series. Mm. Um, and we thank you all so much for joining us for this, mm -hmm. for following along with yep. it. Um, next week, we will be diving into a brand new series. So we invite you to come back. Yeah. Um, it is going to be, you want to give us a quick teaser on that? Yeah, so we're going to be walking through uh, for the next, uh, for, for the month of May, um, the letter that from, written by the Apostle Paul that we call Second Timothy. Mm -hmm. um, the, the title of the series is going to be In These Last Days. And really, yes. it's Paul addressing his young disciple Timothy to say, man, if I can equip you, if I can arm you, if I can help you get, have the right perspective here, I just want to give you these last words so that you will walk faithfully in your life as you go forward. We've got Milestone Sunday yep. next week where we celebrate the births of all the, the, the babies here around Grace Chapel over the last year and then also celebrate these graduating seniors. Yeah. Yep. There's some great words in there for graduating seniors as that's kind of the way that the Apostle Paul as, as a mentor, as a disciple maker, was engaging with Timothy. Um, awesome. Asking him to value these things for the rest of your life, and, and we'll be doing that too. That sounds great. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Paul. Look forward to diving into that next week, and we hope you all will join us yeah. for that. Until then, we'll, uh, we'll see you then. Yeah, God bless you.